Our Advent lesson this morning is from Genesis 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Our sermon lesson is from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, you say that your word is like a lamp shining in a dark place. And we ask this morning that it would shine in our hearts and in our minds and help us see who you really are. Amen. So a few weeks ago, we finished up our lengthy journey traveling through the Old Testament book of Exodus. And this Advent, we're going to be spending the next few weeks in these opening words of the Gospel of John. And so what you have in the Gospels is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all providing a biographical sketch of Jesus's life. When you think about many modern biographies, many of them are written by men and women about others whom they have not spent any time with, sometimes whom they've never met. They're not writing about a person that they have had real life experience with. But when it comes to the words before us in this sermon lesson, what we are seeing is these words are not written by someone coming from a great distance, doing academic research about a person that he knows nothing about. These words were written by someone who was especially close with Jesus. Some might even say that these are written by someone who was Jesus' closest friend here on earth. John spent years with Jesus, watching, listening, Learning And his message in this collected work is there is something that I have seen with my own eyes. And there is something that I have heard with my own ears. And there has something that has happened that has changed my life. And there is something that has happened that is changing the world. And it's about this event. And it's about this person that I'm writing about. And it all has to do with this child who was born into the world. And over the years, countless people have asked, who is this child? And there have been countless answers that have been given. But here in these opening words, we're given a very specific answer about who this child really is. Now, the first 18 verses of John's Gospel are often referred to as a kind of prologue or introduction. 
It sets the stage for everything else that he's going to say in this work. And so he spends 20 chapters detailing out, in many ways that the other gospel writers don't, about the life of Jesus, about what he did, about what he said, about who he was. But here at the very beginning, he's introducing it all, setting the stage, giving us a glimpse of the meaning of it all, of why this Jesus is so important to us. And so in these first five verses that we're looking at this morning, we're given a beautiful summary of the heart of Advent. And what we are going to see about this child is two observations. We're going to see that this child is our life and this child is our light. And along the way, we are going to ask the very pressing question of what does that mean for us here and now? So this child, this Jesus is our life. This child, Jesus, is our light. And along the way, what it all means for us. So first, this child is our life. In our culture, there are certain phrases that we hear and we automatically know what it's connected to. And so if I started the sermon out with something like four score and seven years ago, you would think what? Abraham Lincoln, Gettysburg Address. If I started it off with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you would think, what? If I started out with something like, I have a dream, you would think, what? Martin Luther King Jr. So when, God, when John opens up his gospel with, with these three words, in the beginning... Almost everyone listening or reading this work would have immediately made this connection that he is drawing a line to the opening words of the Jewish Bible, the Torah, our Old Testament, which starts with these same words, in the beginning. This is not an accident. This is a bold move by John in his writing and saying that everything I'm about to talk about to you and share is connected with this overarching story of what God is doing in our world. It's paramount to the story of God and His work in humanity. It opens up like this in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. This is the picture that everybody understood of God speaking into the darkness and creation happening creating the world, speaking it into existence. And what John is doing in these opening words of his gospel is taking us as the reader and listener all the way back to say there was actually something more going on there. It's kind of pulling back the curtains to enable us to see more of the workings of God, of who He is and what was happening in that time. And as he does so, he talks about Jesus being God's Word to us. 
Listen to what he says. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. It's probably easy for us who have heard things like that so often to miss just how bold of a statement this would have been. For John to say, okay, this person, this carpenter turned rabbi in this small nation that I'm writing these 20 chapters about was actually there in the very beginning when all that was made. And even more than that, this Jesus was also an integral part in everything being made. He says, in the beginning, all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Somehow this, this Jesus is central to even the creation process. But He doesn't even stop there. He, he ratchets it up even more, saying, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. This has massive implications for us. So if Jesus was just a normal human like us, maybe he was a a good teacher, set a good example, did some good things, then we can treat him really like we do anybody else who has ever lived. It means that we can look at their lives and we can examine it And we can choose some things that we might want to take on, choose some things that we might want to embody in our own lives, take on whatever lessons we deem good, but the rest we can simply discard. That's what we do to to people like us. But if Jesus is something more, if in this mysterious way Jesus Himself is the eternal Son who is one with the Father, who is God, then that puts him on a completely different plane. And it puts our personal response to him on a completely different plane as well. If Jesus is God come down to us, that, that changes everything about how we ought to respond to him. But it's important to take a step back and ask the question, why would our God, this creator, descend in such a lowly, such a humble way as to become one of us? Why this descent into this kind of darkness? Many of us are familiar with the legend of the the Trojan horse where the city of Troy was under siege for 10 years. And no matter what the Greeks tried to do, they just could not break into this city. So eventually they came up with a plan. They said, we're going to build this giant horse we're going to take some of our best warriors and we're going to hide them in it. And then we're going to act like we are sailing across the ocean in utter defeat and in retreat. And they're going to take this present in and they're going to celebrate it and something unexpected is going to happen. And, and what, what happens is once they're safely inside, these soldiers creep out at night and they open the doors And the Greek army comes flooding in. In essence, death from the outside comes flooding in through this surprise strategy. When the eternal Son of God became man, what people saw on the outside was just a carpenter 
turned traveling rabbi where people were saying big things about him. But inside this seemingly ordinary human, God has hidden something incredibly special. John 1, in him, in Jesus, was life. And this life was the light of all humanity. See, Jesus is God's surprise plan to invade our world. But instead of hiding death in Jesus that spreads, He hides life. And that is what spreads. And it is the light of life. In in John's Gospel here and in his letter to the churches, he talks a lot about this concept of life. But what we can easily miss in, in reading through the Gospel is that there are actually two very different Greek words that John uses to communicate life. One, the most common, is just bios. Bios is just the the word used to describe normal life. The kind we're familiar with. Plants, animal, people, bacteria. It's a kind of life that you can see and taste and touch and measure. So if you're a biologist, what do you do? You study life. But there's something that Jesus talks about a different kind of life, and it's called zoe. And and it's a kind of life that's hard to describe because it's not something that you can necessarily taste or see or touch. But Jesus talks about it all the time. So that we all have bios, but, but zoe is what we were made for. It's what we long for. Even when we don't realize that we're looking for it, it's what we're all searching for in everything that we pour our lives into. But we're told that in Jesus is the Zoe. John 1.4 In Him was the Zoe. 1 John 1.1 Jesus is the Word of Zoe. Verse John 1 John 5.20 Jesus is the true God and the eternal Zoe. Jesus 6.35, Jesus is the bread of Zoe. Come to give Zoe to the world. And most clearly, John 10.10, I have come that you might have Zoe and that you might have it abundantly. The good news of Jesus is this Zoe is being poured into our world in the most unexpected way through God's Son who was there in the beginning. And it brings up some very important questions in our life. Number one, where are we looking for this life? And number two, are we willing to receive it and find this life that we are looking for in Jesus? This child, this Jesus, is our life. But when it comes to who this child is, there's something more even that we're given here. This child is not just our life, but also our Light. Look at verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Once again, John is connecting us to this, this much bigger story. So if you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, one of the first things we do as God speaks things into existence is we see God speaking His Word and then light breaking in to darkness. 
And so when, when John is trying to frame for us what Jesus has come into the do, he's using this creation language to say that Jesus has come to do a work of recreation, to shine light into darkness. Because what has happened is that there is a new kind of darkness that has sept into the world, that has spread like a cancer, and that has infected everything. This new darkness looks like violence. It looks like sickness. It looks like pride. It looks like injustice. It looks like envy. It looks like abuse. It looks like poverty. It looks like bitterness. Like lies. Like sadness. It looks like hatred. It looks like lust. It looks like death. It looks like hopelessness. And it's a thick kind of darkness that we are unable to conquer on our own as much as we might try individually or together. Uh, during World War II, not everyone in Germany was supportive of the rise of Adolf Hitler and was reading this past year a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was among these group of pastors and individuals who are actively pushing against the rise of this force in the land that they loved. And he would eventually even be thrown in, in prison and even hanged for his work amongst a group of secretive people of trying to push against this very specific kind of darkness. But while he was in prison, he, he thought and prayed and wrote a lot about even the season of Advent. He had some friends sneak in some paper to him, and he was able to record some of his, his thoughts about the meaning of this season. As we think about him just sitting there in a prison cell, reflecting on the beauty and hope of, of light breaking into to darkness. And he said this, he said, A prison cell in which one waits and hopes and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. In other words, he, he's sitting in here in this cold, dark prison cell, knows that he cannot get out on his own knows that something has to happen from the outside in order for him to be broken out of this prison. And he thinks and says, this is a lot like Advent. This is a lot like the human condition. Stuck in a kind of darkness in which our only hope is for light and power and grace and love to break the doors open from the outside. And that was the hope that he held on to, the hope that he share the hope that he eventually would die in. Because that's what Jesus does. Verse 4, the light shines into the darkness from the outside coming in. So that Jesus can say, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light. So whoever believes or trusts in me might not remain in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when Jesus, this light that brings life, shines into our lives and into our world, what happens? 
It brings love. It brings healing. It brings truth. It brings joy. It brings humility. It brings kindness. It brings unity. It brings goodness. It brings beauty. It brings patience. It brings faithfulness. It brings forgiveness. It brings reconciliation. It brings justice. It brings hope. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness is strong. The darkness does not go away easily. And the darkness mounts its most powerful counterattack against Jesus. As you read through Jesus' final hours, He knows very well what He is up against. He knows that there are people out to get Him who don't like what He's saying or what He's teaching. But when He takes a step back and sees the bigger picture, here's what He says to His disciples about what is coming. In Luke 22, He says, This is the hour and this is the power of darkness. So that the Gospel writers, when they record Jesus hanging on a cross, it doesn't happen in broad daylight. It happens in darkness. It is daytime, but we're told that a darkness spreads across the land, which is this visible picture of a greater darkness that is coming against Jesus, trying to snuff out this light that has come into our world to bring light. But here's the great hope of Advent. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not been able to overcome it. Light and life. This is the hope of Easter morning, of resurrection, of the sunrise coming, of of God saying, darkness will not have the final say in my world. Light will. But if we're honest, our reality, so often it does look like darkness has the final say in our lives. And the final say in the lives of those we care about. And the final say in our community. And the final say in our world. And this brings out the the double-edged nature of Advent. Of Advent is a looking back to see how light has broken into our world to bring joy and life and healing but also a looking forward when light will come again in Jesus' own words to make all things new. And so I want to end with just a a small Advent practice that I would encourage you to incorporate in your own lives. As As you walk around, as you see darkness out there, as you see darkness around here, as you see darkness in here, whatever that darkness might look at, I want you to pause and notice it. Notice it for what it is. Acknowledge it and the power it has. But then I don't want you to stay there because so often we can just stay there. But I want you to notice the darkness, but I want you to trace it to the Trace it to how Jesus' first arrival brings light to whatever darkness that might be. Or trace that darkness to Jesus' second arrival and how that might bring a final kind of light. Because the hope that we hold on to is light always wins over darkness. 
But sometimes we are not able to see that. We're not able to practice that. And so I encourage all of us to, to, to become people who see not only signs of darkness, but who are, who are so familiar with the light that we are able to trace it. So that these words from Luke's gospel, from the angel, might resonate deeply with us. I bring you good news of great joy for all people, for today is born in this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Who is this child to you? Let's pray. Um, our Father, we, we, we do acknowledge there's so much um, darkness that we live in, but we thank you that your light is more powerful. And so we pray that you would scatter darkness and that we might even be your lights into the world in which you have placed us to love and serve and give and for our own lives to be signposts of this kingdom that is coming in fullness and glory in your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.